0: Hey everyone, it's Liz with True Crime New England, and I just want to give a quick disclaimer on behalf of me and Katie before this episode. We recorded this episode on October 15th. This was before the terrible events that happened in Lewiston, Maine on October 25th. On October 25th in Lewiston, Maine, 18 people were shot and killed at two different locations at the hands of a gunman who later killed himself. Obviously, we had no idea that this would happen, it's a very tragic event, and we just wanted to give a disclaimer as this episode is a case in Maine that involves a hostage situation where there is a gun. The story we tell today ends positively with no real injuries. We did want to share with you guys that this may be triggering, given the events that just happened. We stand with Lewiston, and our thoughts and prayers are going to the families of those affected. Thank you, and here's the episode. Hi, I'm Liz Corey, And I'm Katie King. And this is True True Crime Crime New England. What's up, everybody? Hello, welcome back to another regular episode. We are coming off our yearly high of our Halloween episodes, and... While it was fun. No, it was just fun. I'm going to miss it. Yeah, it was fun. Next year couldn't come fast enough. (laughs) Mostly because it'll be my birthday again, but you know. And I think this year we had a great set of Halloween episodes, if I do say so myself. I think so too. Took a lot of moving around. We had to play with some of the episodes, move some things, change some of them up. But I think at the end of the day, we did a good job. We always have fun with it. It's always nice to switch it up. And,
1: you know, today we're back to our regularly scheduled programming Mm. with a little bit of a twist. In a good way. In a good way. I think it's a good case that we have for you guys today to kind of ease everybody back into it.
0: Mm. Because this case, everybody survives. Yes. Yes. That doesn't take away from how scary it is. Totally. And I think it's very relevant because this, as you can tell from the title, it's a hostage situation. And it happened in 2008. It was at a school. For those of us who attended school after the year, like, 1999, we've all been in lockdown drills. And you and I have talked about this on the podcast, Katie. Mm -hmm. Growing up, we were part of these at least two, three times a year, just regularly, as a drill. And then, plus sometimes, just... Little things would cause the schools to go into lockdown just as a precaution. So while we were researching this case, we felt empathy for these students because, man, we all know how it feels to be in a lockdown for an active shooter or somebody who's not supposed to be in the school. And it's terrifying. And, you know, we all know what the protocols are for like a hostage situation or like a school shooter, or whatever. And the school shooters or whatever, they know the protocols. Exactly. And you can only go so far by hiding in a cubby or turning off the lights. So it's like, okay, yeah, you know, it's, it can be kind of scary. And we all know if you are a regular listener that I'm someone who really is fascinated by school shootings, workplace shootings, you know, hostage situations like this. So when we found it, I was like, This is quite interesting. And again, like you said, ease into it. Because everybody survives. In fact, nobody's even really hurt.
1: Yeah, and it's so interesting because we know how badly these things could go. So terribly. I mean, constantly. I mean, it happens so often that there's not enough news airtime to air all of the shootings that happen on a day-to-day basis. Every week, every month. I mean... Not even just in schools. We've talked about this so many times on the podcast. Mm -hmm. So when we saw a hostage situation, we were like, holy shit. Yeah, One, that could happen to any of us at any time. Right. Whenever we leave the house and go into anywhere public. Right. And two, let's look into this more. Oh my God, everybody survived. Yeah. That's really
0: interesting. Yeah. And, you know, obviously school shootings, workplace shootings, hostage, whatever. Those have been happening for a long time. After Columbine in 1999, that was really, it was not the start by any means, but that was when it really started to get more media attention. And so then after like Sandy Hook in 2012, we started to see even more of like, media picking up on these stories and now we have a whole bunch that we can just pick off the top of our head yuvaldi Rob elementary we have the ariana grande concert you have the country concert you have the temple shootings and you have you know like there's hunt virginia tech the oklahoma city bombing you have so many you we know, went one up in i think buffalo upstate mm-hmm. new york the grocery store shooting yeah, you have tons and those are just that we can that was just what i pulled off the top of my head right so Obviously, this is a common occurrence. Everyone knows this in America. You can be on either side of the gun argument. You can be on whatever side. It's just something that happens all the time. So when this happened in 2008, which I believe is around the time the Virginia Tech shooting happened, um, you know, this situation obviously was very scary. And it happened in a very, very, very small town in like... central coastal Maine. So that was even more terrifying because while they were, we'll find they were very prepared and did a great job. It was only because of the events leading up to it. You never think it will happen to you. We know this, we talk about all the time. So naturally things like this can end really badly in small towns, just because of the lack of preparation, because you just don't want to think it'll happen to you. Right. When in reality, it absolutely can. And I'm definitely with you, Katie. I think about it when I leave my house. I'm like, well, uh, I'm going to a concert tonight. Am I going to be near an exit? There, I'm at a movie theater with my boyfriend. The exit is, like, really far away. That makes me nervous. You know, whatever. It's scary.
1: Yeah. And then you think, oh, my God, it's really crowded. Mm -hmm. And there's one exit or two exits. Mm -hmm. This could be a crowd crush situation, could be a stampede. Yep, sure. I could be shoved and then incapacitated on the floor and not able to defend myself. Like, I,
0: it's just, it's so crazy. And to be honest, I went to um, the Freiburg Fair a few weeks ago with Elijah and his friend and his girlfriend. And it was great. And we went on a Friday night. It was dark and it was packed and it was a lot of fun. But I was thinking in the back of my head, I was like, I'm in Maine where people love trucks and guns and um beer and are very loud and proud about all that stuff so i i was thinking about that kind of thing because it it's scary you know it's their security was not all that tight no so you just kind of automatically start picking out like hiding spots like, which cow should I hide behind? Or, like, where do I hide in the cart of a Ferris wheel? You know, like, it's just, it's scary. And I'm sure these kids in this involved in this situation probably had no idea what was happening. And then after that, for sure, their lives were changed forever.
1: Absolutely. And a lot of people write it off as, oh, anxiety, you're just anxious. It's like, well, it happens an awful lot. So, Where's the fine line between, oh, I'm high anxiety or I'm disaster planning for a very real event for a very realistic likelihood that this could happen to me? Because in all honesty, it's pretty
0: likely. And it's almost to the point where it's like, do you tell someone in Texas that they're high anxiety for preparing for a tornado? It's getting to the point in the United States where it's like, everybody gets their little guns. Absolutely. It's sad. And, you know, we everybody knows our stance on this. But I think this is just another example of the possibilities that can happen. And, again, this situation ended perfectly, which is not the case 90% of the time. Mm -hmm. So this was a very lucky situation. Yeah. And, again, very interesting. And I'm not just saying that because these are, like, my true crime interest, you know? And, again, a nice ease back into it we're gonna get into it so if you guys are triggered or upset by school shootings or school you know hostage situations obviously of course you are more than encouraged to turn it off skip this episode however this is a light you know there's not a lot of violence and there's no injuries and it's very kind of not straightforward but Everyone ends up being okay, so it's not super upsetting in the end. So just, if you're able to stick out, stick out. It's a good, it's very interesting. Yeah. And, you know, a lot of um, mental health and the psychological interpretations we kind of do as we go along. And without further ado, today we will be covering the Stockton Springs hostage situation. Oh, Katie, now that we are done Halloweening it up, I'm, my heart is broken, but we must continue on, and that means we must push forward. May I have your sources to continue the story?
1: Of course. Thank you. You're welcome. I had information from News Center Maine, NBC News, CBS News, WGME.com, and Bangor Daily News.
0: Amazing. I had two articles from WGME. I did use NBC News. I used an article from the Republican Journal where I got a lot of personal accounts from teachers, which was fantastic. I used an article from the Bangor Daily News. I used two articles from the Portland Press Herald. I used Foster's Daily Democrat. And I used a court document from the United States District Court of Maine. I really loaded it on there. Hell yeah. Hell yeah.
1: On October 23rd, 2008, a man was stopped by a police officer at about 10.50 p.m. at a safety checkpoint after the officer noticed he wasn't wearing his seatbelt as he was passing by. This is Maine, not New Hampshire. You have to wear a Mm seatbelt. As the officer stopped him and approached his window, the man pointed a gun at the officer, stopping them in their tracks before driving off. He made it a few hundred feet before they eventually found the car abandoned in a field Mm -hmm. and that this man had taken off into the woods on foot. Yeah.
0: Already it's like, um, what? Insane. Like, approaching this guy's window. No, it was not a dangerous situation before that. Just a standard safety check for his well being. He's not wearing a seatbelt that's unsafe. (laughs) Exactly. And all of a sudden he's just like, takes out a gun?
1: Police closed down an entire two-mile stretch of Route 1 to search for this guy. Over three dozen other officers and the state police tactical team were all out looking for him. Schools in the area, which was District 56, all closed the day after while this guy was still on the loose, waving a gun around. Mm -hmm. They were not going to risk having kids walk to school, get on the bus, get dropped off, Mm -hmm. be in school when this guy was so close. I mean, there's a couple different... Elementary schools, middle schools, high schools, even in the area, they were not going to risk having this guy on school grounds with students there.
0: Yeah, and especially not with a gun. And especially if, for a routine traffic stop that he didn't even know why he was being pulled over, he brandished a gun. Right. What would he do if he ran into a child? So I think they did the absolute correct thing by shutting down those schools. Absolutely. Great move by those towns.
1: Lieutenant Gerard Madden stated, quote, we looked everywhere. We were checking all the abandoned buildings and we had, I don't know if we had any sightings of him. So we were trying to find them.
0: Mm.
1: No neighbors are really saying anything. You know, they're putting out information. If you see a guy fitting this description,
0: mm-hmm.
1: he might be armed and dangerous. Be careful. Please call this hotline or this local police number if you see him. Mm-hmm. No real tips or any kind of other information. So within a week, they hadn't really heard any information. They hadn't had any incidents. No more reported sightings until Halloween day, October 31st, 2008.
0: Oh yeah. When he showed up at a place he would least expect to say it very bluntly. It was roughly 8.30am on October 31st, 2008. Halloween. It was a Friday too, which is prime. That is like we all know that's ideal for Halloween Day. We love it. The school day was just getting started for the kids at Stockton Springs Elementary School, and obviously everyone was real excited. Stockton Springs Elementary School, which was roughly 10 miles north of Belfast, Maine, which is near Bar Harbor, just a few, it's around, probably within 50 miles of Bar Harbor. It's right on the coast. I was there a few months ago. Beautiful area. I love it up there. My family and I usually go to a lake house about an hour and a half from Belfast. I love it. It's a great place. Cannot recommend it enough if you're looking for a cute little getaway. But anyway, um, it's pretty much as small as it gets, which is pretty typical for main schools. In the whole school, which is, which hosts grades K through five, there are about 85 students total. At least at this time. And also at this time, there was a total of a whopping 11 staff members. Total! That's teachers, cafeteria workers, bus drive. It was one of those schools where I think people, the staff, had multiple jobs. Yes. Like, the gym teacher was also the health teacher and also was in charge of PTA meetings or whatever. You know, like, just a lot of, everyone wore a lot of hats. Yes. You had to. I mean, it made sense. And of course, I think with the elementary school too, it was more than just like one district. Like it was a few towns into this school and there was still only 85 students. Total small town things. It just blows my mind. So the entire week leading up to this had been tense because, well, there had been a man on the loose, as we said. He had a gun and he was clearly um, unstable. And like we said, they had closed down the school for the next day, which was a very smart move. And now all the schools were on high alert. But everyone was trying to move past that, at least today, because it was Halloween. Everybody loves Halloween. Kids dressing up in costume. We got candy. Oh my God, it's so exciting. We love it. And maintaining extra levels of security. They had more police officers around. They had practice lockdowns. And they were locking the school doors throughout the day and only letting you know, the students in and unlocking the doors as they were coming in and leaving. Great. That's awesome. Very well prepared. So, well, you know, on Halloween morning, there was a parent of one of the children. Um, they were at the school and they noticed an odd sight in the cafeteria. That odd sight happened to be, well, it looked like a dirty man, was what they described. And this dirty man who was disheveled, distraught, they thought it was weird because, um, he looked as though he was trying to, like, coerce two kids to go into the bathroom with him. And that obviously, no matter what situation, that's not okay. So this parent, acting very promptly, ran to the school secretary, who was also probably the science teacher and the, uh, janitor. I don't know. <laughs> she ran to tell the school secretary, who found the bus driver, Glenn Larrabee, And it basically for like, can you go take care of this? I'm going to call 911 or whatever. Like this is, this is something weird is happening right now. So Glenn Larrabee, the bus driver, who was a great man. And in this story, he's a hero. He's a good guy. He was very brave. And he immediately confronted this man. He was still in the cafeteria at this point. He looked out of place clearly, and he was still standing with these children. And now he looked not only like, Disheveled but desperate, like he wanted to be around these kids, and he clearly had a motive, and nobody really knew what it was at this point. And keep in mind, this is about eight thirty a.m. Schools barely started, if that. The secretary
1: notified Waldo County Communication Center of the situation at eight thirty-seven a.m. So pretty quick, within seconds of being confronted by the very brave bus driver. The man, who we now know is 55-year-old Randall Hoffland, pulls out a gun. Oh,
0: God. In the school cafeteria. Yeah. With students right there. Like, literally right in front of him. So the physical education teacher, Dan Campbell, was in the gym, connected to the cafeteria. He was in his office, whatever. When he suddenly heard Glenn Larrabee, the bus driver's voice, very loudly and firmly saying, let go of him. And so he's like, or is he like breaking up a fight? What's going on? I'll go out and see what's going on. So when he, so when Dan left his office and went to the cafeteria, he found Larrabee confronting a dirty man. And in between them was several children. And Dan described Randall as being distraught, desperate, disheveled, clearly like he had not been, in a home or like had a shower in a week. Like he clearly had been in the forest or whatever. When Randall saw all these people starting to approach him, he kind of started to realize that like the walls were closing in on him. And so he acted very quickly and he immediately grabbed a fifth grade child right next to him, grabbed him by the shoulders, put him right in front of him and said, he's mine. He's going with me. Now, Dan Campbell, the gym teacher at first, he thought this guy was this kid's dad. And so he was like, oh, this fifth grader, his dad is here and he's mad and he's going to take him home. And this dad looks like he wants to beat his son. So Dan was really concerned for this fifth grader because he was like, clearly this man is unwell and he wants to hurt this child, his son or whatever. So he was like, whoa, man, like, hey, let's not like, let's all be calm here. Let's be adults. Like, it's okay. And, uh, it was at this point that Dan noticed that Randall had a gun and Dan was like, Oh boy, well, this just got a lot worse than I thought than a domestic dispute about like a dad and his son or whatever. This just got really dangerous. And, you know, with this prevalence of school shootings and things happening, I can't imagine the fear that he felt and all of them felt in this little cafeteria. That's horrifying. As soon as Dan noticed the gun that Randall was holding, and kind of like, Randall noticed that Dan noticed the gun, he immediately pointed it at Dan's mint section. So, now Dan was fearing for his life. Not only the children around him, but he was like, well, shit, I'm fucked. You know, essentially, like, this is terrifying. And I imagine because he's a gym teacher, Dan probably was a strong man. And that's terrifying, regardless. So... Luckily, Larrabee, the bus driver, was still very brave at this point. He kept talking to Randall. He was trying to talk him down, distract him, calm him. Thanks to this, Dan not only avoided being shot, but he also was able to get the kid, take him, and run. And so moving very quickly with the fifth grader down the hall, he shouted lockdown really loudly to kind of alert everyone around him and ran down the hall to head to the supply room behind the gym, which was protocol for like if the kids were in gym class and this were to happen, which I remember being protocol at my school. Like I remember this where they would go to the supply room, turn off all the lights and sit like behind the bouncy balls or whatever. He took this fifth grader who had previously been in Randall's grasp, was running down the hall with him, ran into another fifth grade boy, grabbed him and they all booked it to the supply room. Wow. Yeah. Once they got in there, he, you know, had them all in the dark and was like, okay, all right. And, you know, the two boys were panicked. One of them was swearing, like, oh shit, oh God, you know, like freaking out. And the other one was like banging his forehead, like he was rocking back. Like they were terrified, of course, like freaking out. And then Dan was like, okay, son, was that your dad? And he was like, I've never seen that man in my life. And then Dan realized, oh no, this is a person who's really not supposed to be here. I'd, if he's not your dad and he just said, like, oh, he's mine, like, I'm, I'm taking him with me or whatever, then he's clearly not got no business being in this school. Obviously, because, you know, he has a gun, but regardless. And so one of the kids was like, can we call 911? And Dan was like, oh, yep, yeah, sure. yep." Yeah. he grabbed his cell phone. And let's keep in mind, it's 2008. So he had probably like a flip phone. And it had shitty surface. He was also in like a concrete block of like a supply room. It took him 10 minutes to get cell reception. Luckily that they didn't know was that somebody had already called the police, which was good, but still stressful. He was finally able to get a signal. And when he did actually make a phone call, he actually called the main office and left a coded message. And he did not share his location just because he thought, what if Randall's listening? He's going to come. He's going to find us. He's going to kill us all because he's probably mad that I took this kid away or whatever. The police received that phone call about the supply room at like 842. So it really hadn't been that long since they received that first phone call at like 837. So this is happening very fast. And we learn at the end that this whole incident was half an hour, if that. Meanwhile, Randall was now not only desperate, but also very angry. And this is when he started making his way around the school.
1: Randall had walked pretty quickly Mm -hmm. down the hallway and opened the door to a fifth grade classroom where 11 fifth graders were learning. Right. And just went inside. No, I don't think
0: the rest of the school had any knowledge of this, what was happening yet. No,
1: not yet. This was all very, very quick. Yeah. So... Randall had the gun in his hand, and the kids are immediately like, oh my god, this is so scary. Two children, especially, very visibly upset. Just crying, yelling, very
0: upset, mm-hmm. visibly. Yeah.
1: Everybody else was pretty upset, but these two especially were really just... Probably, like, sobbing loud. Mm-hmm. Randall was like, you and you, to the two very upset children, go. Go and let them out of the
0: classroom. Which it's so weird cuz situations like this give you such weird feelings cuz that was very nice of him. Right. So it's like okay, like that was good, very good of you. And I'm glad he did it, but like wild sudden heart. Exactly. Mm.
1: One of the students in the classroom named Lakeisha stated, quote, Miss Russell tried to close the door, but he kind of opened the door forcibly from her and took her out of the classroom. We all just tried to hide the best we can. He was talking to us about various things and asking us questions. And it's like, what happens if we don't answer? What are you going to do?
0: Yeah. So she's terrified. Yeah. And I mean, this is after he kicked the teacher out of the room. And this teacher, to her credit, she fought. She was doing everything you do when you're trying to shut somebody out of a room. She sat down. She had the whole her body weight against it. He pushed the door open, pushed her over. She was trying to give him directions like, oh, this is how you can escape the school without being noticed. Like, you're safe. You're like, oh, we won't tell anyone, blah, blah, blah. And he still pushed her out. And then she had to, like, sit there and be like, how can I protect these kids? So, you know, how terrifying. And this girl, you know, her account, that's So scary. Yeah, and he pointed a gun
1: in her face—the
0: gun in her face. Yeah,
1: and she's like, "Oh my god, oh my god!" You know, there's now nine students in here. Yeah, what do you, what do you do? Yeah. Per the school's lockdown protocol, you know, police by now are on scene. They got there really quick, and they Mm. heard that there was a guy with a gun involved. So they were sending units from across the county. Mm-hmm. It wasn't just the little town, local
0: cruiser. Mm-hmm. The whole school was surrounded. Absolutely. Which, hell yeah. Absolutely. Good on them. They were helping to evacuate
1: classrooms, and they did this in a very organized and orderly fashion. Mm-hmm. You know, they figured out, okay, there's the hostage with a gun. He's in Miss Russell's classroom. Okay, evacuate this hallway first, get them out, load them on buses. Everybody's going to Searsport Elementary, which was really just right around the corner. Yeah. So they kept it very organized, which can be really hard with little kids, especially. Yeah. Like you said, Liz, it's K through five. So sometimes as someone who's worked with children and babysat, it's like hurting cats. Honestly. Like it really is pretty. Not including the fact that these kids are anxious. It's lockdown. And it's kind of going against all of their lockdown drills because they're being evacuated out of the school by police.
0: And when they were always taught to be quiet in a corner and act like they're not there. Only to be like, okay, now you have to move and like get out of here fast. And it's panicky. And so obviously there's like an urgency there that's, you know, the kids are picking up on. And it's frightening. It's terrifying. So of course they're freaking out. They kept it so that classes were either kept together or reunited, Mm. and
1: they tried to keep the teachers there, but the teachers had to do their own lockdown protocol, you know, get the students out, I'll finish up here in the classroom, grab some stuff, let's get going. So teachers are being reunited with their students at Searsport Elementary, and they had counselors
0: ready and waiting Like, 10 out of 10. Mm -hmm. I think that overall they did a fantastic job.
1: Oh, absolutely. And then the school's priority is obviously this is not just a lockdown. It's not just a drill. Mm -hmm. There is literally a man with a gun threatening students, for all we know. Yeah. Get the kids out. Yeah. The school is not like, hey, Mrs. Johnson. So we have a little bit of a situation here. Um, Little Timmy is on the bus right now to Searsport. And with faculty of 11... There's not
0: enough...
1: No. No. There's all hands on deck. Their priority is getting the kids out so they can then tell the parents, hey, by the way, this happened. All of the kids are safe. Mm -hmm. Pickup is going to be at Deersport Elementary. You know, you're going to hear more about it. Just, this is what's up. And to be honest, it happened very quickly. Totally. Yeah. Totally. And actually... (laughs) One of the moms was listening in on a police scanner, mm. just for fun. Yeah. very. That's a very small town New England thing
0: to do, is oh listen gosh.
1: on a police scanner.
0: My grandparents used to, I remember at their old house, like growing up, they used to have a police scanner in their bedroom that was always on. So you'd always just hear like, you know, like the static and just, well, breaker, breaker, blah, blah, blah. And you'd just hear like, subject, blah, blah, blah. And just always, and it was just, just it was so normal. Now you can get apps on your phone, right? Yeah. So New England.
1: So that girl, Lakeisha, her mom, actually, Diane Jackson, she got a phone call and she said, quote, she says, Diane, it's on the police scanner. There's a hostage situation at school. They're holding the fifth
0: grade class. And of course, when you're school, there's only 85 students. All of the fifth graders are in one class. All of the third graders are in one class. So when your daughter's in the fifth grade class and you hear that the fifth grade class is being held hostage, um, you start to panic. She said that she was just
1: so overwhelmed with fear. She got in her car and she said she wasn't sure if she'd be able to drive. Right. Because she was so shaken up. And then parents are showing up at the school. Word is spreading like wildfire. Some of the moms have group texts. Mm -hmm. You know, the soccer team's coach is a parent volunteer and you know they got a text from so-and-so and and mr smith is texting this one and calling so parents are showing up at the school yeah and everyone was pretty good you know the police are de-escalating they're saying no your child's fine go to searsport go to searsport we got this under control everything's great and then everyone was understandably upset, understandably frazzled, but they were all very cooperative. Mm -hmm. No one's trying to storm into the school. No one's trying to scream yell. But honestly, at that point, any reaction is more than justified because you hear about this on the news all the time and you just hope and pray to God that every time you send your kid to school that day won't be the day that it's your kid's school. And so today the day in question was the day that it was their kid's school and so you don't know how to Prepare yourself. We don't know how you're going to react in that situation. So, just the fact that everybody was able to be calm, cool, and cooperative and follow directions and not hinder their evacuation process and not hinder talking to the gunman who was holding their kids hostage,
0: everything was handled very well. Agreed. And I think also the size of the school and the students probably helped, but I think mostly it was because of how prepared they were and just how well the staff did and the police did. They did a fantastic job at the end of the day. Let's be real.
1: Totally. And then just a week before too, they closed down the school and they were on lockdown in preparation for the same guy.
0: Right. Exactly.
1: Detective Jason Andrews began communicating with Randall from outside the hallway through the door. No shots were ever fired. And within minutes, Randall gave his gun to a student in the classroom and walked outside into the hallway. Which is, oh, oh my God. Yeah. The minute his big toe
0: crossed the threshold out into the hallway, Mm -hmm. he was tackled by a state trooper. (laughs) Which, honestly, yes, he did not have any weapons on him, but fully, fully, yes, that was the correct move. Yeah, and who's to know what
1: else he has on him? He could have a knife, he could have another gun. Right, absolutely. He could have the same gun. We have no idea. Yes. Totally inappropriate response. Mm Mm-hmm. He was placed into police custody at 9:08 a.m. 48 minutes, give or take, this whole thing. Wild. Yeah. The student he handed the gun over to was 11-year-old Dylan Tripp, whose classmates said he was incredibly brave and he even de-escalated the situation by himself inside the classroom while they were waiting for police to arrive. This kid is incredible. He said that his teacher, same thing as Lakeisha, trying to hold the door shut, Randall basically ripped the door out of her hands, pointed the gun in her face, kicked her outside, and then all of the kids went into cubbies in the back corner by the window. Dylan said that Randall started talking to them about how his wife was crazy, took all of his kids away from him, and that she tried to poison him. So clearly this guy
0: is having a psychotic break. Very mentally unstable. He's ranting to a bunch of children who are terrified about, you know, his life situation. He has a gun. He's dirty. He's scary. And they're on their cubbies, like, quaking, terrified. Like, this man is going to kill us. And he's just like, Shh, this bitch, she took the kids. I thought she poisoned my pancakes and blah, blah, blah. And they're just like, um, um, uh. Like, he's ranting and raving. Yeah. Despite
1: all of this, Dylan said that he kind of toned it down and wasn't as angry or aggressive. And he actually found him to be pretty polite and even docile. Mm. I think he could sense that this guy was in distress and he really wasn't in his right mind. And Dylan said he even felt bad for him. No, His peers were crying, really scared, but he himself didn't feel too scared in the moment. He said, quote, He didn't point the gun at any of the kids, but there was one point in time where a girl was trying to escape where he did pick up his gun and tighten his grip on it, and he got a little serious. Mm -hmm. Other than that, Randall never threatened any of the students with the gun and kept it pointed away from them the whole time. Dylan eventually started talking to him about his gun. Mm -hmm. He had some kind of knowledge about guns, whether his dad owned some or whether he was just into video games. So he made a comment like, oh your gun, is that a semi-automatic, like, just, like, a little comment. Yeah. And totally brought the situation down. He was talking to him, you know, about the gun, joking around with him even. And then at one point, Dylan offered him a snack and something to drink. Yeah. Which is,
0: honestly, A, that guy's going to make, if not already, a great party host. Because that's excellent etiquette. And also, I feel like not to, like talk about myself here but that is something i personally am very strong at like calming people down and i think that that is how i would be in the situation just it's almost like the mom friend overdrive yeah. you know like kind of being like how do i make this calm how do i calm everyone down and make it so everyone's okay and that everyone's having a good time and like you know so i feel like dylan this kid was so brave in being like extending an olive branch almost to this guy with a gun
1: And for an 11 year old to assess the situation and realize, okay, this approach is going to work Mm -hmm. as opposed to, you know, I don't know. I'm feeling a little scared. This guy's really scary. He knew in his gut, okay, I can talk to him. I can bring it down. It's not really that hostile to begin with. Mm -hmm. And just, he did, he brought it from a hundred to zero and then the police arrived. It was (laughs) perfect. There was really no de-escalating to be done by the police really no hostage negotiations to be done. Right. I mean, the police showed up and they're like, hey. and he's like, oh, hey. He handed his gun to Dylan and mm. Dylan stated, quote, he was telling me I was a brave boy because I was the only one not crying and just stuff like that. And I don't remember what he said, but he ended up giving me his gun belt, which held his clips and his gun mm. and his knife and all of that. And
0: he told me to put it above my head and to walk out of the classroom and give it to police. Which honestly... For a lot of reasons, I think that also makes me feel a little more respect for Randall. And again, respect is a strong word, but because suddenly he had Dylan's safety in his mind. Because he knew as soon as Dylan was, whether he walked out or was found with the gun, they would point their guns at him and be like, whoa, kid, calm down. So having it above his head, like, I'm, you know, like, I'm, hands up, whatever. That's having his best interest in mind. Right, and he went out of the classroom
1: first. They tackled him and they're like, okay, where's the weapon? Where's the weapon? And then here comes Dylan very calmly holding it above his head. And then he started walking out down the hallway An officer told him to run. So he starts running down the hallway and then another officer grabs the gun from him, Mm -hmm. helped him out of the school. He was questioned for a little bit by police. And then he was brought to Searsport schools to be reunited with his parents. Mm -hmm. An officer on the scene said that Randall looked scruffy and unshaven his pants were ripped, just very disheveled. And Randall made several statements to of the officers as he was being arrested. And one of them said he was saying lots of things, just ranting and really not making sense. Not a lot of the sentences were coherent. Right. But they're just like, all right, buddy, let's go down to the station. Like, yeah. Show's over. He was clearly having a psychotic break. Yeah. And now police are like, oh my God, this is the same guy that pointed a gun at our officer on the 23rd of October, just a week ago. Mm -hmm. What has he been doing for the last week? Where's he been? How did he get inside the school? And what were his intentions when he got in the school? Right. Officer Madden stated, quote, to the school's credit, they had a plan and locked down the school. Credit to the officers that arrived
0: and credit to the school's safety plan. Hmm. They did a good job. Mm -hmm. Really, they really did. They did fantastic. And I think... Again, a part of it is because how recently they practiced. Absolutely. And great. Good. That's why it should be practiced. hmm Absolutely. So as far as what we know about Randall Hoffland, like, let's talk about him a little bit. Who's this guy? Great question. We don't really know too much about Randall Hoffland. He was known to local police, like you said, but he didn't have a criminal record, at least not Really? The only record that could be found on Hoffland was that he had previously protested a parking ticket he had once received in Concord, New Hampshire. According to Randall, his, quote, constitutional rights were violated because the city didn't have signs up around the area that indicated that there was to be no parking over 30 minutes between 2 a.m. and 6 a.m. Obviously, the court told him to fuck off. In conclusion... And that was really the only criminal you know like that's not a criminal record. he just fought a parking ticket and lost whatever we know a lot of people do that it's not very that's not super big deal after this incident with Randall, who had lived in the Searsport area for about seven years in a trailer off a dirt road, the local police learned that he was quietly being investigated for allegedly taking more than a hundred thousand dollars from a retired sea captain, a man named George Perkins who lived out of Stockton Springs. Apparently, Captain Perkins had hired a private investigator to help him recover his stolen property. Private investigator. And he had been working for over a year, quietly investigating Randall. Supposedly, Randall had been working for Captain Perkins for roughly four years, gained his trust, and then completely abused it to the point of taking advantage of him and stealing $100,000 roughly from this man. Who was elderly at this point and kind of ill. Which is terrible. Like, what a piece of shit. I can't even deal. So, again, that's all we really know about Randall's history. Up until the trial, we know that from his own admission, while he's with the children, he's divorced. His wife took custody of their children. And clearly it was messing with his head. hmm And we also can speculate that maybe he was mentally ill. Absolutely. So... Yeah, clearly. So, in 2011, a jury trial was held for Randall Hoffman, where he was charged with 41 counts total. They were as follows. 22 counts of kidnapping, 11 counts of criminal restraint with a dangerous weapon, 4 counts of criminal threatening with a dangerous weapon, 1 count of burglary, and 1 count of criminal restraint. If you did your math really quickly, that does only equal 40 counts. There was one count that was dropped and he was ultimately found not guilty for. And that was threatening the officer at the safety checkpoint. He was found not guilty for that, surprisingly enough. While Randall did ultimately, he had lawyers. He did spend a lot of time representing himself like most guilty people. And he was asking witnesses questions, which meant he was asking teachers and students questions about what happened, which is traumatizing as fuck. Wow. Which, again, we see so often with survivors of these crimes when the serial killer or the attacker represents themselves because they're so crazy. And that's, oh, so traumatic. Awful. A large part of Randall's defense was that his actions largely stemmed from a recent divorce, like we said, and the subsequent loss of custody of his children, which really messed with his head, I guess. He also... Well, you know, and maybe that stemmed to some stress. And then it started to get a little more crazy because he then said there was a mass conspiracy against him. And they were like, okay, that's probably less likely. And then he blamed the officer, a woman, um, who stopped him at the checkpoint for the whole thing and said, if she hadn't stopped him, this wouldn't have happened. So the court was like, um, yeah, no, that's not it at all. She's good. She's, leave her out of this. You, you... You should, you should be wearing a seatbelt, brother. Like, calm down. Like, what is- You can't blame her for this at all. Additionally, in a very, very bold statement by Randall, he claimed that the students who were suffering from PTSD were not actually suffering from it. And uh, they only thought that they were thanks to the adults and the lives that were being filled into their heads. I know. Rude. Scoff. Exactly. I thought that was extremely rude myself. Justice Jeffrey Helm, presiding over the case, cited Randall's explicit blame for everyone else and not himself was a pretty big indicator that he was guilty. Which is, yeah, that checks out. Also, he didn't show any remorse. Absolutely. That's a pretty good indicator as well. Not gonna lie. In the end, Randall was found guilty of 40 out of 41 charges and sentenced to 35 years in prison. In a very half-hearted, maybe even quarter-hearted apology, Hofflin said, quote, It was totally unlike me. A total brain fart. It was a very temporary madness. Very temporary. I don't know, but like, I've never given a good apology that includes the word brain fart. That's not a good apology. Or even temporary. Yeah, no, that's not great. No. No. Since his trial in 2011, Randall has filed so many appeals that when you Google Randall Hofflin trial or Randall Hofflin main courts, whatever, you get like nine different law documents that are like he filed lawsuit against Bangor Daily News and he filed appeals against this, and then he filed appeal against an appeal for, like, he literally anything, he goes for it. He cited in his appeals that his right to a speedy trial was breached, that there was prosecutorial and judicial misconduct, that he received excessive punishment, which is definitely not true, and he cited discrimination um, as part of an appeal, which I don't know what he thought was he was being discriminated against it wasn't clear but he's white and uh i don't know what he possibly could have. like it just doesn't make sense he's desperate and uh you know naturally all of his appeals have been denied he's still in jail so that's where he'll stay and for 35 years that puts him at it roughly in his 80s oh that's right because he was 55 at this time so three years so he's 58 59 when the trial happened I don't think he's coming out of prison. Wow. Yeah. Geez, that's
1: like 90s almost. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, my God. Yeah.
0: School superintendent
1: Raymond Frev said that their protocol is to say a code and broadcast this over the intercom system to alert teachers of a serious situation so that they could then initiate classrooms being locked down without panicking the students. He stated, quote, everyone was calm. They did what they were supposed to do. The bottom line, nobody got hurt. mm the Maine Department of Education began requiring schools to enlist local police, fire, and emergency officials in creating emergency response plans back in 2002 so that they could involve them, get their input, and really make sure that the right authorities were included. Because how are you going to make a plan without getting the police input? Yeah. What if the police are like, no, you can't use that exit at all. The door locks behind you and you got to make sure. Like, yeah. all of these things. So it's really important that they... Are developing safety plans for students with the help of mm-hmm. professionals and yes. you know police,
0: fire, EMTs, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera, and that really paid off here. Obviously, Maine is a huge state, but but obviously the population isn't huge. Um, that being said, it's one of the better states as far as it goes for the amount of school shootings or gun incidents in school because. I think they've taken really good actions and measures to make sure it doesn't happen. Mm-hmm. So there was actually one of the articles I got from WGME. There's a great statistic um, that shows a dramatic decrease of weapon incidents being brought to schools. So just for example, in 2012, there were 239 weapon incidents in Maine schools in 2016. There were only 57. Wow. Yeah. So that was the latest data I could find, which is that was almost cut into like, A fourth of what it was. That's a lot. That's very good. Which is very interesting to me because, again, Mainers. I know I'm like an indoctrinated Mainer, but man, do they love their guns. Right. Because hunting is very big, understandably, up here. So it's like, oh,
1: God. Even knives, too. Like, I remember one time my siblings were telling me, yeah, this kid brought a knife to school. It wasn't a big deal. It was his dad's hunting knife, yada, yada. But the whole school had to go into lockdown, all this other, because they take it very seriously. Good. Oh, my God. I remember part of the reason that my family moved up here to the Seacoast, New Hampshire area from Brooklyn Mm. is because the middle school I was supposed to go to within a couple years, Mm. they just had to implement metal detectors So all of the kids had to walk through a metal detector, have their bags searched, be scanned and wanded and maybe padded down because it was getting pretty rowdy up in that school. Yikes. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So just the thought of it being so bad in a school that you have to do that. No one should have to walk into a school and feel like, oh, here I am at my stay in prison. Like no one should have to feel that way. Yeah, No. So I feel like any way that they can prevent it, you know, even if you do have to be padded down or whatever, you right. shouldn't have to. You're a minor, number one. Right. Number two, if you have to walk through a metal detector, that's really traumatizing. But if it helps cut down on, like, stabbings in the school right. or kids bringing weapons, not yeah. even just guns, weapons, weapons. to schools. Yeah. It's crazy. My mom was a substitute teacher and she said one of her box cutters went missing and she caught a kid <gasps> not stabbing anybody, but... Yeah plotting oh. to stab somebody with. It. She got it back. Everything was fine, but. That's crazy. Is that in New so York? Wild. Yeah, that was in New York. Ugh. So wild. But yeah, that's it's funny. so interesting to see everything that's being implemented to keep kids safe. I mean, even just us going into high school after hours, you had to be buzzed in and go through yes. the main office and it was a very yeah. secure thing. Mm-hmm. You could not, under any circumstances, just waltz into the school no. anymore. No, absolutely not. Absolutely not. Dylan, the kid who very bravely de-escalated the entire situation before police even got there, mm-hmm. did very well the same day and even the following few days after, per his parents. He went home. This is the day of the hostage situation, and it's Halloween night. He went trick-or-treating. He was probably in shock. I'm. That's what I'm saying. He was probably yeah. like, okay, you know, everyone told me I did a good job. Yeah. I guess it's fine. Nobody got hurt. Yeah. Should I feel worried? You know, everything is going okay. I guess I'll go trick-or-treating. And he really didn't process the whole thing until a few days after when he was at dinner with his parents, just sitting at the table, and he said, what would you guys do if Randall broke into the house with a gun right now? Oh, buddy. He started asking for a knife to carry around to protect himself. Aww. He was eventually diagnosed with PTSD. Yeah. And he told his parents, you're never safe no matter where you are, you can always die. Aw. As an 11-year-old. Yeah. That is so traumatizing. Poor thing. As an adult, because he was interviewed about his account when he turned 18. Yeah. You know, if he wanted to, and he said, yeah, sure, that's fine, you know, whatever. So he said he always lives life knowing that any day can be your last and that you really shouldn't take anything for granted. Yeah. Incredible.
0: Yeah. He was a brave kid. Yeah. He did a good thing that day. It is incredibly lucky for how that situation turned out. And I'm glad no one was hurt. Mm Mm-hmm. And I'm glad Randall Hoffman is in jail for the rest of his natural life, because what a piece of shit. And uh, we obviously want to know what you guys think, just because it's not Halloween anymore doesn't change the way we feel about your opinion. So please send us what you think. You can find us on Instagram and Twitter at True Crime Oh, lowercase. Or you can send us an email at True Crime NE at gmail.com. We, of course, have a website,
1: truecrimene.com. You could go to our contact page and use our handy-dandy submission tool to send us thoughts on this case, other cases we've covered, questions, comments, concerns, and if you want a shout-out at the top of the episode, you could use it to suggest a case based in New England, please, to us. That's also a really great way to be anonymous, if you so choose. Always an option. You could scroll down a little further to our Buy Us A Coffee page. You can click the button that says thank you and go to our Buy Us A Coffee link where it gives you the option to buy us a coffee. Well, myself a coffee and Liz, a non-coffee related beverageino. Another way you guys can show your support is to stay on the website, go to our store, look at some of the merch we have. We're really proud of the designs. Mm-hmm. A lot of them are personal to us, inside jokes, etc., mm-hmm. etc. If you would like to show your appreciation on a higher level, but don't want to spend any money, which we encourage you do not. Mm. If you are a Spotify kind of listener, you can go over there and leave us a star rating. If you're more of an Apple podcast kind of person, you could go over there and give us a star rating and or a written review. But even if you don't do all of that and you're just here listening, we could not ask you for more. And we appreciate you guys
0: so much. Absolutely correct, Katie. And with that... We'll see you next week. Bye. Goodbye.